Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. As we continue to go deeper in our study of the seven spirits, I want to look today on the counter character. Because we understand that spirit in scripture directly affects character. In fact, it is character. The Bible talks about a spirit of fear that will make a person fearful or a spirit of jealousy that will make a person jealous or the Holy Spirit that will cause a person to walk in holiness, which are the fruits of that spirit, the characteristics manifested so that we may often need to be reminded that we need to have a character that is counter to the current culture or else we will have a character that is counter to God. We very clearly encounter these seven spirits or characteristics of the Holy Spirit of God in Revelations chapter 1 verse 4 where John says that he writes these letters to the seven churches of Asia. He says, grace be upon you and peace from him that is and was and is to come, which we know is God. He always was and always will be, yet is he even right now a very present help in time of need and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us of our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelations chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. So in this we see that there are three in heaven, God the Father, the Eternal, the one who always was and always will be, and these seven spirits of God that seem to be encompassed into one, and Jesus, who is the faithful witness of them in the earth, the one who preached them, who taught them, who testified of them with his words and proved their existence and power with his life. If we jump ahead a few chapters to Revelations chapter 4, verse 2, we see it again where it says, And immediately, speaking of John the Revelator here, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about this throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. My friend, this is a description of the throne room of heaven. They were clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of this throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So in this description of the throne room of heaven, we see that there is a lampstand and seven flames burning from it. These seven or the seven spirits of God. We understand that the Bible tells us that God described the very courts of heaven to Moses and had him to replicate them in a small and limited version in his description of the tabernacle in which he placed a golden lampstand that had seven different stems on it. At the time, it was an oil lamp. Nowadays, we call it the menorah and we put candles 
in it. These seven different candles, these seven different flames represent the seven characteristics or the seven spirits of God, of his Holy Spirit, all encompassed and coming forth from the main center branch, which is Jesus. We're going to get a little deeper into this. As we look at the characteristics, not only of the Holy Spirit and those who have him, but also the counterfeits. Because Jesus said, you'll know the tree by its fruit. And he gave us examples of it, both good and of bad. Because in everything that God has created, the devil has tried to counterfeit it. There's always a counter to the characteristics. Of God, And we understand that if the Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of Christ, then we have to realize that the counter of it are the characteristics of the Antichrist Spirit. Therefore, is it important that we understand it and learn to recognize it? So how do we know that these seven spirits really are the characteristic of the Holy Spirit? Well, for one, we just got a description of the throne room of God in heaven. And we understand that all three were represented, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Witness, and the Flaming Fire, the seven spirits, which is the Holy Spirit, and the seven characteristics or things that he comes to release to us, to make available to us, to unlock, to unseal to those who dwell upon the earth because it had been sealed up to them from the beginning unto the time of the crucifixion of Jesus. In the Gospels, we read the account of Jesus's baptism, but we see it from the viewpoint of physical men and women. We understand that John the Baptist had been prophesied to that whoever the Holy Spirit descended upon and stayed, he would be the one, the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for, the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world that would come to take the sins of the people away. Because up until that point, the Holy Spirit would come, but he wouldn't stay. He would rest for a moment and then fly away, just like the dove that was released from Noah's ark. He was released to see if there was a place for him to rest, but there was nothing because wrath was still upon the earth. The waters were still there. There was nothing but death and a dove will not touch an unclean thing. A dove won't land on a corpse or a body. So the first time Noah released the dove, he flew out, but there was nothing for him to land on, to rest on, to stay on. So he came back to the ark. But then after a period of time, Noah sends the dove out again. And this time he comes back with an olive branch in his mouth. This represents the fact that he rested on something, but he didn't remain. He didn't stay. This was like Moses and Elijah and David and the prophets of old that he rested his spirit on for a season and for a time and for a purpose. And then it lifted and returned unto the Father. But the prophecy was given that on whom the Holy Spirit rests, that dove rests and stays the third time that Noah released the dove, it didn't come back. It found its place. And so when Jesus came for his baptism and John the Baptist declares that he saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus and resting and staying, Staying. That's when he knew and declared that this man is the son of God, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world who's come to take our sins away. So having this understanding, then we can look back to the Old Testament prophecies of Isaiah in chapter 11, verse 1, when he saw from the spiritual viewpoint, from the viewpoint of heaven, what was actually happening at the time of Jesus's baptism. He said, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root. 
and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Well, that's very interesting. This is what happened at his baptism. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord. But wait, it does not stop there. He gives us more and the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of understanding and the Spirit of counsel and of might and the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So that makes seven of them. But yet we know from the New Testament account that it was the Holy Spirit that rested upon Jesus, this stem of Jesse. So that now we can understand that these seven spirits are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. They are all encompassed in him. To go a little deeper into each of these, you can go back to the teachings that we did when we unpacked each one of these characteristics. The main branch being, of course, Jesus himself, the very spirit of Jesus, that main stem that we see coming up out of the menorah, out of which the anointing or oil flowed to all of the other flames, the one that is wisdom, the one that gives us skill for the fight and the war that we are in, the one that gives us understanding to understand the things that we are seeing in the spirit. Once we've been born again, the one that gives us counsel, who teaches us and gives us instruction in righteousness, the one who gives us might or strength when we are weak, the one who gives us knowledge through his word, discernment to know between what is right and what is wrong, truth and error, the holy and the unholy. And the one who opens our eyes to see God as he truly is, that we might fear the Lord. Seeing him finally, not only as our Savior and friend, but as our God, Lord, King, and Judge in the end. The one of whom we will have to face one day to receive our eternal sentence. Because there is a consequence for sin, disobedience, unbelief, and rebellion. Or a reward for those who have believed his words and teachings and put their faith in him completely. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit was given to teach us to live godly in this present world, to lead us into righteousness, to cause us to overcome the flesh by following the leading of that spirit, to lay down the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the what I want, what I think, what I feel, and surrender to the truth that he is willing to reveal if we will humble ourselves and ask him to. If we will believe that he is who he says he is and that God the Father and Jesus the Son paid a very high price to release him to you and to unseal that blessing of eternal life. In Revelations chapter 5 verse 1 we read this, I think one of the most amazing accounts of these seven spirits. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, this is God the Father, a book written within and on the back side. This is no doubt the book of life, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because that no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. 
And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. My friend, it is very likely that what John the Revelator is witnessing here is what actually happened after Jesus' crucifixion. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world enters into the mercy seat to make atonement with his own blood for us and to open up the book of life. This same lamb is the one who possessed the seven spirits of God. You see, that's part of why Jesus had to die. So he could release it to us. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. You see, what Jesus did is not only for us that live now, but also for those who lived before because we have faith in what he did, but they had faith in what was coming, in what he would do. They put their faith in Jesus too. Even in the old sacrificial system, it was the prophetic declaration of belief in what was coming and what Jesus would fulfill on this day, the real lamb that was slain. He did it for all of us, past, present, and future. The one who was and is and is to come is the completeness and fulfillment of every word ever spoken from Genesis to Revelations. He says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You see, there's something amazing even in this, that there are seven blessings that are attributed to him because that he possessed these seven Spirits, And of course, we know that the word tells us that if we become sons and daughters of God through Christ Jesus, then we become joint heirs with him. We inherit everything that he did because we receive his spirit. God sees us as he sees him. Therefore, do we have the ability to receive these seven blessings if we have the fullness of his spirit working and manifesting in us if we are surrendered and submit it to it? And let me explain something. When it says power, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. When it says riches, we're not talking about physical, material things. These are spiritual riches. Remember that Jesus said to the church in Smyrna that they were in poverty, yet they were rich because they had the spirit of wisdom working in their midst. 
In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the richness, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who can be his counselor? These are all aspects of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of counsel, of knowledge, of wisdom. And Paul is telling the Roman Christians that if you have access to this, you have access to riches. Not the temporary riches of this world that will fade away or become dust and ash on the final day, but the riches that are everlasting and eternal. The one that the church of Smyrna had because that they had the spirit of wisdom, this characteristic of God's Holy Spirit. They mind heavenly things and not earthly. They remembered that this world was not their home. They lived for eternity. They were willing to sacrifice even their lives to maintain the righteousness of Christ, to walk in his words and teachings and demonstrate them no matter the price. They had skill for the fight, remembering that we're in a war here, one that Jesus already won, that in the end he will come to finish what he started. We just have to possess the land. And keep declaring his word and promises until he comes again with reward for those who've done this. Now there is something very interesting. Jesus often warned us of false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing that would come to deceive us, to steal away our crowns, our rewards, our righteousness. That would cause us to remove the words that are written in this book of which we will be judged one day from our hearts and our minds. He said that if we do this, then our names also will be blotted out of the book of life. So to this, he instructs us and gives us great wisdom and discernment and knowledge and counsel all in the same passage. This, my friend, is real riches. Grab hold of it and cherish it all the days of your life. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. For you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. In other words, if somebody truly has the Holy Spirit, he will have the characteristics of it, and it will produce these good fruits in their actions, in their character, in their life. He says if they don't have it, then they're not drawing from the right root. It's not Jesus' spirit. There's something else in operation. It's a counterfeit. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. We can't judge by the gifting because he said even the Antichrist spirit will come in signs and lying wonders. Never make your decision on whether or not a person has the Holy Spirit or whether or not you can trust the words that they're speaking because of the gifting that can be counterfeited. He said, always look at the characteristic. Look at the fruits of the Spirit. Why? He says, because not every person that calls me their Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of the Father which is in heaven. For many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done many wonderful works? 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You see, the word iniquity means twisted. It's not outright rebellion. It's not denying the Lord Jesus. It's being a little crooked. It's being out of alignment with the truth. These false prophets were not delivering the words of God because it wasn't coming from the Spirit of God, though they were doing many wonderful works. The works couldn't get them into heaven. Only those who did the will of the Father which is in heaven, those who were submitted to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the only way to know the real from the counterfeit is to look at the characteristic. So let's look at the fruits. Because understanding this will give us greater discernment, greater wisdom, greater knowledge, greater counsel, greater understanding. This is a working of the true Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruits of the Spirit are this love. Now we understand that this love is not just any kind of love because there is a counterfeit love that is actually lust. It is selfish. This is agape love. This is a godly love. It is selfless, sacrificial. Love is sacrifice. You will sacrifice for the ones you love. A true father sacrifices because he loves his family, of his time and energy to tend to take care of his children. A true father sacrifices the lust of his flesh to love his wife more than he loves himself. A true mother sacrifices her own attention, desires, and plans to pour into her children and her family and the widow and the orphan. God sacrificed his only begotten son because he loved us. Jesus sacrificed everything, his very life, his blood poured out for us. That is real love. It doesn't look towards its own. It's not selfish. It's not self-seeking. It's not arrogant. It's humble like Jesus and so should we be if we follow the leading of his Holy Spirit in everything. The next fruit of the Spirit is joy. There is joy, everlasting joy in having a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is joy in knowing that this world is not our home. There is joy in knowing that God fights for us. There is joy in knowing that there is a promise coming. There is joy in knowing that we are loved. There is joy for those who have the Holy Spirit. Peace, perfect peace, will he keep those whose minds are stayed on him. He is the Prince of Peace. If we have him, we will have peace. No matter the trial or situation, no matter how complicated, no matter how difficult or dark the situation, he will be our place of peace. Long-suffering, we will be willing to suffer long. We won't quit easily. We won't be offended easily. We won't give up because something's not easy. We will be long-suffering if we have his Holy Spirit. We will keep enduring and we'll keep fighting for others no matter how much we suffer for it. Even by the very hands of the ones that we are laboring to bring into the kingdom. Let this self-same mind or characteristic be in you that was also in Christ. Follow the leading of his spirit. Let the fruits be manifested. Prove the root that you are in agreement with. 
gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Not arrogance, not coarseness, not control or manipulation, but gentleness and goodness and faith. Real faith. Not just believing what you want to believe. Not ignoring everything that the Holy Spirit is speaking and holding on to the deception that you are already walking in and claiming that it is faith. No, my friend, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith in what he said in his word. Faith in what Jesus said. Who is the word? Faith is trust. Trust in his love for us. Trust that he's enough. It is believing the words of Jesus. Meekness is a fruit or an evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. I love the passage where it says that I will wait and see what my reaction is when I am rebuked of the Lord. In other words, when the Lord corrects me, how do I respond to it? Because this is an examination of our level of meekness and also temperance. But also I think that when we receive reward or praise, how Do we receive it? Do we reflect that back to Jesus or do we seek it? I'm not talking about just with our words because we can claim a lot of things, but what do our actions bring? Do we run after the spotlight, the accolades, the attention, the vainglory? Are we envious of other people's callings or giftings? Meekness, my friend, remember it is the meek who shall inherit the earth in the end. Believe him for the better things that are coming. And don't fight for the temporary things of the moment that will ruin your testimony before the great white throne judgment. Temperance is very important. That is our temperament and patience, our ability to maintain our spirit or countenance and not be swayed wildly by emotions, to not pout or throw a tantrum Or try to manipulate the situation to not be easily angered or excited. To not be moved by our emotions. But to stand on the word of God and walk in obedience and temperance unto the leading of the Holy Spirit. These are the evidences that we have received the seven spirits, the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit and that we are following the leading of them. However, Jesus also warned us of this in Matthew chapter 12, because you see that a man is born into sin and unclean spirits or characteristics rule him. But when the Holy Spirit comes unto salvation through the washing of the blood of Jesus, are those unclean spirits cast out, they're removed. But then you have to maintain it. Remember the menorah of the Old Testament had to be trimmed, refilled with oil twice a day. This is why Jesus warned us of the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Half of them kept their lamps full of oil, but half let the oil run out. We've got to continue to abide and refill that oil daily. We've got to come back to his word. We've got to come to his presence in prayer and in worship. We've got to continually be refilled. Because if not, you will dry up and stop producing those fruits. You've got to continue to feed your spirit with the truth. You've got to continue to let him correct you, to lead, guide, and direct you. You've got to remain in agreement with his words and teachings, or else you will grieve the Holy Spirit. 
and he will depart from you. Jesus warns us many times that if you allow the branch to dry up and die or become disconnected from the body, it will be cut off and cast into the fire. Paul himself said that if I don't bring my body into subjection, then even I myself, after having preached to you, could be cast away. This, my friend, is very serious. Remember in the book of Revelations, it tells us that if we don't remain in the words of these books, in the truth of it, then our name can be blotted out of the book of life. Jesus tells us that if we don't remain in his word, and his words remain in us, then we will be cast off as a branch and dry up and thrown into the fire. This is what was happening to the churches in the book of Revelation. They started out right, but then they got a little off track. Some started to agree with false doctrine. Some started to allow false teachers in their midst. Some started to allow false prophets. Some had ceased to fear him and become lukewarm and cold-hearted and apathetic towards sin. And because of it, Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord himself, had departed from them. He had removed their candlestick, and he was outside the door of the church knocking, trying to get back in. There was conviction. He was knocking. He was telling them, something's not right. I'm on the outside. It's time to repent and start over again. If you overcome this, you will be rewarded for it. But if not, then I myself will be forced to fight against you. On the day of judgment. Jesus tells us that this happened to an entire generation in the book of Matthew chapter 12 verse 43. He says, and when the unclean spirits are gone out of a man, they walk through dry places seeking rest, but do not find any. Then he says, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. The house or temple being the man. And when he comes back, he finds it empty, swept and garnished. You see, it wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit and his seven characteristics. It had become empty. He had been grieved and departed from it because how else would it be cast out? Jesus tells us that the only way to overcome the strong man is with the power of the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit. So the only way that these spirits could have been cast out in the first place was that the Holy Spirit had overpowered and bound the strong man. So why is the house empty when he comes back for it? Because the Holy Spirit has departed, just like we were warned in the book of Revelations. Jesus warns us also in the book of Peter, through the writings of Peter, that when this happens, the latter end of the ban is worse than the beginning. He tells us the same here in Matthew when he says that when the spirit comes back and finds the house empty, he then goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Why seven spirits? Because the devil counterfeits everything God created. The Holy Spirit has seven characteristics so that when these unclean spirits return into a man who once had the Holy Spirit, he comes in with a counterfeit. Counter character. And if the Holy Spirit is the character of Jesus, as we have already determined, then the counter character would be that of an Antichrist spirit. 
we know that the description of the Antichrist is that he will be self-willed. He will do his will as will those who follow him. Jesus did not do his will. He did the Father's will. It says he did nothing unless the Father told him to do it. He did not even say anything unless the Father told him to. Everything that the Antichrist is, is anti-Christ, the opposite or counter of the character of Christ. So my friend, judge the fruit of the Spirit. God tells us to test the spirits because many spirits have gone forth into the world and then gives us a warning about the Antichrist spirit. He is a counterfeit. He's not coming to deceive the world. The world is already deceived. He's coming to deceive the church. And many of them already are deceived. Many already serve the spirit that moves in signs and lying wonders. You see, God gives miracles and signs to confirm the truth. But so does the Antichrist spirit move in counterfeit giftings to confirm the lies that he is speaking. Just like Janus and Jambers, the magicians of Egypt, who opposed Moses, and in so doing, opposed God. This is why the Bible says that to be friends with the world makes you the enemy of God. Because that the ruler of this world until the return of Christ is the devil moving through a spirit of Antichrist. Jesus even warned one of the churches in the book of Revelations who had began to move in false doctrine that if they didn't repent and get back in alignment with the words and teachings of Jesus that they would become his enemy and he himself would come and fight against them. This is very serious my friend. We've got to be in right standing. We've got to be on the right side of the fight in this war that we're in. So what, my friend, do you think are the characteristics of these seven counterfeit spirits that come in to enter into a man who had the unclean spirits removed from him, but then was made empty, who had the Holy Spirit depart from him because of iniquity? What do you think they are? I think we can get a glimpse of it in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, when we read these six things. Doth the Lord hate yet seven or an abomination unto him? If there are seven good and holy and righteous characteristics of the Holy Spirit, then of course the devil in his counterfeit would have seven abominations available for men. The first it says is a proud look. There is no greater description of the Antichrist than to say that he is embodied in pride. The Bible says that Leviathan is the father of the children of pride. It says that it was because of pride that Lucifer fell. Pride is anti-Christ. The very first spirit mentioned in the book of Isaiah in the description of the seven spirits of God was the spirit of the Lord. And out of it came all these other characteristics. So I think it only befitting that the first one mentioned here in the book of Proverbs is pride. It is the very spirit of the Antichrist, out of which all these other characteristics come forth, the next being a lying tongue. He is a deceiver. Pay attention to the characteristics. The Holy Spirit brings you the truth. The unholy spirit brings you error. The Bible says that there is a spirit of truth that is the Holy Spirit and a spirit of error. It is a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. It causes you to believe a lie. Deception. The Bible says that Satan was a liar from the beginning and the father of it. 
The next characteristic, it says, is hands that shed innocent blood. Of course, we know that Jesus tells us in the New Testament that to hate your brother without a cause is the same as murder. So in this, I would encompass hatred. Yes, the shedding of innocent blood is a severe manifestation of it. This encompasses things like abortion, murder, abuse, violence in any form but also includes the sins of the heart, like hatred, a lack of patience, anger, and unforgiveness. The next one that it says is a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, one that plots and plans against his fellow man. Feet that are swift in running to mischief, in other words, an instigator, a false witness that speaks lies, a manipulator, And he that soweth discord among the brethren, someone who is controlling, a slanderer, a gossiper, or a murmurer. My friend, these characteristics are very serious. And it doesn't matter who you speak them against. You can be kind to a handful of people or even most. But if there's anyone in your life that you do this to, it's not all right. Just because your spouse or your family or your co-worker have made themselves your enemy, doesn't give you the right to be theirs also. That's not the character of Jesus. If any of these things apply to anyone in your life, it's not right. Repent, ask for forgiveness, and receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible says to not even be angry for any length of time because it gives place to the devil. You could have been in right standing and something or someone in your life caused anger and offense to arise and you didn't release it or forgive them or come into alignment with the teachings of Jesus on that person or situation. And because of it, you grieved him and he had to depart because he couldn't live anymore in that heart. And then the counterfeit stepped in. And all these other things. And you may have even pushed those people or situations out of your life so that you don't have to deal with it. But because that door was open, something else got in and began to pollute the temple. It's time to cleanse it. Call upon the name of Jesus. Choose to forgive them. Humble, be meek, and gentle. Ask for the blood to cleanse your temple. Ask the Holy Spirit to come in and sweep and garnish it again. And then surrender to his teachings and leadings and start producing those good fruits of his spirit. Because Jesus said that if we produce bad fruit, then it's proof that we are drawing from a bad root or the wrong spirit. So what are the fruits of the flesh? Help us, Lord, to recognize it. Give us greater discernment. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, we read this. Now the workings of the flesh are manifested, which are these, adultery. Now, we understand what adultery is. It is extramarital relationship, but it goes far beyond that or the physical act. It can be any form of infidelity in our modern times. That can include things like pornography, but it can also be a heart issue. For example, Jezebel was a married woman in scripture, but she had an unmarried heart. There was a lack of submission one to another. Her and her husband acted apart. They did their own thing. They lacked submission one to another as the scripture commands us. You can be single in heart and in action, even with a wedding ring on your finger, in the same way that you can claim Christ as your Lord and Master, but you don't do the things that he says, nor do you do the will of the Father so that on the final day he will say, you were not truly mine, though you claimed to be. You didn't obey me. 
He said, why do you call me Lord, but don't do the things that I say? Don't be single in heart or in action to either your spouse or your spiritual husband, which is Christ Jesus. Adultery is not being joined together with the one you are covenanted with. And of course, we know that by the teachings of Jesus, it can also encompass the lust of the mind. Simply looking on a person in lust that is not your husband or your wife. The next fruit of the flesh is fornication, which includes any sexual sin outside of the confines of marriage. Uncleanness, which are impure motives. This is very encompassing because it can encompass seemingly good things, but what is the motive behind your action? Are you doing good works for attention? Are you serving solely for the purpose of seeking position, climbing a ladder of notoriety, vainglory, ambition, lasciviousness. This one is very rampant in our modern time and culture. My friend, be cautious of it because basically it comes down to excessive living. Lasciviousness is uncontrolled lust. It is excess in any area, be it sexual, be it food, be it entertainment, be it in materialism, in money, in mammon. In anything, it's being led by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It's succumbing to the I want that the man or woman of God is supposed to crucify. Idolatry is a fruit of the flesh, giving anything your attention before God. What you give your attention to, my friend, you worship. What you sacrifice for, you worship. Do you sacrifice your time and your energy and your attention? For anything before you do it for Jesus? This is idolatry and a fruit or an evidence of the leading of the wrong spirit. Witchcraft is a fruit of the flesh. And witchcraft is the controlling of others through deception, manipulation, or even the use of drugs, which is sorcery in scripture. But even without the drugs, you can still move in witchcraft if you are manipulating and controlling people and situations. Hatred is a fruit of the flesh. Of course, we know Jesus says that hatred is the same as murder. It is offense. It is holding unforgiveness. Variance, which is contention, being contrary, putting forth a sense of superiority by way of pressing a counter viewpoint or opinion for the sake of attention or the perception of wisdom over others, even if what you say is right, which often is not the case, but even when it is, if it's done with the wrong motive, it is variance, and it is a fruit or evidence of an unholy antichrist spirit. Emulations, which is debate, a zeal, a quickness to act, attack, or defend one's position. This is not the characteristic of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's the opposite of meekness. Wrath, being quick-tempered, overcome with, or not in control of, one's emotions, vengeance, or anger. Strife. This is division, self-seeking, contention, cause for the sake of self-positioning or promoting, attacking and tearing others down to better position or elevate yourself. Be careful, my friend, don't be guilty of this, especially among the body of Jesus. 
He was divided once and for all. Don't be guilty. This is why one of the seven things that he hates, the abomination, is the one who brings discord among the brethren. Don't cause strife amongst the body of Christ. Don't divide the sheep so that the enemy can conquer them. Sedition. The definition of sedition is causing dissension, disregard, disrespect, a lack of confidence or obedience to God's ordained authority or leadership. This goes hand in hand with strife and causing division amongst the body of Christ. Be careful what you do. Don't cause others to lose respect for their spiritual leadership. This is sedition. It is dissension against the authorities that God has positioned. This is Antichrist, for it comes from a place of pride, putting your own understanding, opinions, and decisions in the place of God's. He's the only one who can see the end from the beginning. He knows what he is doing. And it is the opposite of gentleness. The next one is heresy, which is causing others to oppose the doctrine and teachings of Christ. Envyings, which is wanting or acting to obtain that which belongs to another, be it physical possessions, spiritual giftings, or offices, authorities, and callings. It is a lack of trust and confidence in where God has you in the moment. It is unbelief at its root. It is the counterfruit of faith. The next one is murders, which I would say includes physical and spiritual, because my friend, if you cause a person to lose their faith, if you act in selfishness or hypocrisy or unnecessary harshness or meanness and you cause a person to be offended, especially those that are young in the faith, these little ones, Jesus said that it were better for you to put a millstone around your neck and be cast into the sea. My friend, this is spiritual murder. You caused them to go into a spiritual death in eternity, to walk away from the gift of life. My friend, God doesn't see our being separated from this world as death. He sees our being separated from him as death. Because when we leave this world, if we're in him, then we go to meet him. And that's life eternal. That's not death in his eyes. That's a birth. That's a new beginning. That's a precious and glorious thing. But if we leave this life and are separated from him for eternity in hell, that is death. So murder, my friend, it's more important that you understand this. It's not just the taking of a physical life, but it's the sending of the soul to hell by your actions. Have you been mean to someone at church and caused them to refuse to come back? Have you been selfish? Have you misrepresented Jesus? Have you manifested the fruits of the flesh instead of the fruits of the spirit while claiming his name? Have you been a wolf in sheep's clothing? You better repent, my friend. There is salvation. There is grace sufficient, but you got to recognize your need for it. Because this is very serious. The next fruit of the flesh is drunkenness, which is any form of intoxication. Rather it come by way of alcohol, drugs, or medication. The Bible says that a man who is not in control of his own spirit is like a city without walls. He has no defenses. The enemy can walk in. Any other spirit can take control of him. So when you choose to be intoxicated, you give yourself over to the enemy. This is sorcery according to scripture. The next one is revelings, which is partying or riotousness, being completely led by your feelings and emotions, a lack of restraint, humility, decency, or modesty. 
He concludes by saying, And such like as all of these things which we have mentioned, of which I tell you now, the same as I have told you before in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not my opinions. This is the word of the book that will judge us on the day of judgment. It's up to you to believe it. Because continuing a little further in Galatians 6 or 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, which means to plant, that shall he also reap, which means to harvest. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not quit. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are of the household of faith. We are told here to sow, which is planting a seed. The seed is the word. But there are good seeds and bad seeds according to Scripture. The seed is the word that comes forth. We want to receive the right word, the word of God, the words of Jesus, not the words of another spirit. Because when we believe those words, we receive it. That's when the seed is received and planted into the garden of our heart. When it springs forth is when we begin to obey it. Whether it be a good seed, we obey it unto righteousness. Or a bad seed, we obey it unto unrighteousness. The end of which is damnation according to scripture. It springs forth when we obey it and we are changed by it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So if you need to be changed by the word of God and you don't know how to, just ask him. Ask him to teach you. Or if you see it in scripture and you don't know how to come into alignment with it, just ask him. Say, Lord, I see what your word says here. I see that it says that no whoremonger will have their place in the kingdom of God. I'm asking you for the grace, for the power to walk in this. Forgive me. I don't want to do it anymore. Cause me to be cleansed from it by your blood, Jesus, and filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And then walk in the power of it, following the leading of it unto greater and greater holiness until the reaping comes, which is the harvest, the time of reward, when we're taken into the Master's barn, which is New Jerusalem or heaven. We can't have this laid out any more simply for us than in the parable of the sower given to us in Matthew chapter 13 verse 18 where Jesus himself tells us that the seed is the word and it's cast upon different types of ground and he tells us what those grounds represent, different types of hearts, one that is receptive, one that is hard, one that has so many other desires in it that it's easily distracted. And then a little further down in the same chapter, in verse 24, he gives us another parable where he talks about the master who sowed good seed into his field, but then the enemy came in and sowed bad seed behind him. And he tells his angels or laborers that are with him that in the harvest, he's going to harvest it all up together and separate it. That which sprung forth 
from the good seed will produce good fruit and it will be gathered into his born but that which sprung forth from the bad seed will be tares will be weeds it will be worthless and it will be cast into the fire the seed that you receive my friend is the word that you agree with make sure that it's the words of Jesus and not the words of the enemy because in the beginning when those things spring forth they can look very similar but when they start to produce fruit that's when you'll know the truth because you see when the wheat produces fruit it bows down the weight of the fruit pulls at it but the tares they stand tall and proud and they're cut down at the final judgment which seed you receive or which word you agree with will determine what is planted in you what is produced through you and what is reproduced by you in other words what spirit or your character testifies of it will spread to others your words will be planted in them and so will be reproduced your characteristics make sure that you are reproducing the character of Jesus because this is what he will gather as evidence for or against us at the final harvest This is why the word of God tells us that only the truth, which is the word of God himself, can set free. Because it's the pure seed. Therefore do we read in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Lord, we pray for discernment today. We Thank you for your words and your teachings. We thank you for what you have given us in the identification of the fruits of the spirit and the fruits of the flesh. Let it be wisdom to us, Lord, in this fight that we not be deceived by counterfeit spirits or wolves in sheep's clothing. Lord, forgive us of any time we've ever gotten off track and possibly reproduced the wrong seed by our words, life, and action. Lord, cleanse us of any time we have ever done this, just like the churches in the book of Revelation. Lord, we ask you, Lord, if there's anything that struck a chord with anyone today, let them confess it to you, Lord, and say this is sin, and I have committed it, and I'm sorry for it. Lord, cleanse me by your blood. Fill me with your spirit. I surrender to it. I have nothing to offer them, but that I can offer you to them. So I give you my vessel, I surrender my will. I lay down my pride, my life, my ambition, my intellect, my plans, my agendas. And I say, here I am, Lord. Use me as you see fit. If it be to sit and praise you in a prayer closet or to give my body to be burned. Lord, we recognize that it is only by the blood, the love, the sacrifice and the spirit of Jesus that we can have eternal life. We thank you for your teachings that help us to abide, to remain, to stay connected. We call upon your name, the only name that can save the name of Jesus, Yahshua, salvation. Come, Lord, come, Holy Spirit, and change us. Cause us to walk in your righteousness and use us for your purposes. Prepare us for your returning that we may produce much fruit for your glory unto the final harvest. Let your will be done in us, and to us, and through us, 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.